So how many of you feel like you are able to discuss your faith with people who don't follow Jesus? Do you feel like you can openly discuss your faith, answer questions? Okay, that's a good thing. Okay, the questions are hard sometimes. So we're going to do like a whole practice Q&A. I'm going to tell you now, I don't know everything, but two things that you always need to be willing to acknowledge when you are engaged in such discussions. You need to be able to say, hey, you know what? I don't know or I, have thought, I haven't really thought about that. But hey, the other thing you can say is, hey, I don't know, but why don't we search out an answer together and see what the Bible and the faith and tradition of the church have to say about this issue? Y'all can come on in. All right. All right. I'm like, I'm like, I was like, huh? The practice Q&A? Yeah. Apologetics? Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's about to get real. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any seats left? <laughs> Let me know either way. Okay. <laughs> we can make a new row. So you say that some of the questions are hard sometimes. Like what? What do you mean by that? Okay. So, if, if that's okay with you. But, like, if I'm talking with people, like, a lot, because people are supposed to be, like, politically correct now, people say it's very close-minded of me to assume that other people are wrong and that my religion is correct. And it's, like, just, it's high and mighty to tell people that their way is incorrect when, like, we don't know. Okay. The, the whole issue of exclusivism within Christianity. Um, one of the things that here, I'm also going to give some book recommendations as we talk about this, if that's okay. Um, Christopher J.H. Wright discusses in his book the uniqueness of Jesus. Oh. Wait, talk to me. No, no, she was she brought up another book, but it was about the uniqueness of Jesus. Okay. Ortberg. Who is this man? Oh, who is this man? Yeah, that's another one. So as you go through. Wright actually discusses the uniqueness of Jesus and talks about inclusivism and exclusivism and how all of those things work and how Christianity is an exclusive religion, but it's also inclusive. What that means is this. You know how people raise the question of, well, what about people who've never heard the gospel and what's going to happen with them? And quite honestly, we often give an answer of, well, you know, well, people say, well, they're going to hell because they never heard the gospel they didn't accept Jesus, right? Is that the normal answer you would hear? What do you What do you hear? Come, come. You usually hear that like everybody at some point is going to be reached. Like God won't, like Jesus won't come back until everyone has been like at least heard His name. What about people who die before He comes back, though? <laughs> <laughs> and see, here's what happens. Wait, you got a question back there? Oh, well, most of the time I hear like it's about what your heart is like doing throughout your life. So if somebody's like on a remote island, it's mm-hmm. like caring and giving and loving. And Right, right. It's like, well, well, there's a chance. Well, what about this? Well, well, they did this. Yeah. I've all, like I've heard that like you just you don't know, and that some things that you're gonna go on life not knowing, but telling the word of Jesus mm-hmm. is worth telling no matter what. Mm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I heard that like by looking around you and seeing like God's creation. In general, you should know that something above yourself created that. Right. And so then, like, 
Yeah, Romans 1, Paul writes that creation is without excuse because we, like, no, no one has any excuse to not worship God because creation itself is a testimony that there is a God. Yes. Now, here's the issue. So, but, but what if they don't know the name of Jesus and, you know, missionaries never got to them and people toss this question out and most people are sort of like, uh... Here's my normal response to that. I'm not God. I don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody into. Mm-hmm. So as a result, this is what I know. I know that God, who is the judge of all the earth, will do that which is right because he is right, he is loving, and he is good. Therefore, if anybody ends up in heaven, it is... This goes back to that whole issue of the exclusivity, inclusivity... Anybody who ends up in heaven, it is a result of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Anyone who does not, it is due to the justice of God that is being executed because he is the one who knows and searches the hearts of every single human being. Because here's what we do. I'm going to push it just a little bit, okay? Here's what we do. We say, well... The innocent little baby dies and goes to heaven. And this is what I tell people. Who said that babies were innocent? Mm. Remember, if we were all born with original sin, we are all guilty before God, and none of us deserve heaven. Therefore, we are all recipients. Anybody who's in heaven and spends eternity with God serves and functions as a recipient of his grace. So the same way I don't put people in heaven and hell, I don't put babies who, you know, I don't put them in heaven or hell. I leave that job up to God. And I think when we become honest as the church, that you know what, we don't have all the answers about God, and we embrace what we call the mystery of God, I think it actually demonstrates a little bit of the raw and sheer honesty that we as Christians are supposed to have. Because, let me explain this to you. When you are able to answer all the questions about God, who is infinite, and you are a finite being. Yes, sir. I'm going to interrupt. There's a large group of people who are about to come in here from another class. So it's going to be interrupting your moment. Okay. Okay. So I, that's why. Yeah, so, let's go ahead and just. Oh, wait, yeah. no. No, 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 no. No, no, no? No. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nope, you're good. We got it. Okay. Never mind. Okay. Y'all good? Y'all good? I'm blessed. Hi, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> She's right here with me. Go away. <laughs> he don't know. He answers to me. There you go. <laughs> I'm the one in charge. She is. She is the one in charge. Oh, actually, since I have you, sorry. I have something for you. Because I'm probably not going to see you again. Oh, thank Cause you. Because you're gonna probably going to leave, and I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to cry. Aw. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, see you. She's amazing. Where was I? Yeah, so we're not God. So here's the thing. If, how do we understand everything about an infinite being if we are finite beings? Because the day and the hour, we can explain, we as finite beings can explain everything about an infinite, all-knowing God. God ceases to be God, and we have now turned ourselves into God. So let's not do that. So let's be honest about those things, and it's like, you know what? I don't really know, but I know that God is just. He's judge, and he's justifier, and he'll do the right thing. Does that make sense? Now, normally when you're engaging in discussion, there are certain things... How many of you have heard people raise the question? I don't know if people even ask this question anymore. But can God, if God's all-powerful, can he make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? <laughs> like, is this the age-old question? Well, can God... Yeah, can God... If God's all-powerful, can he make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? And I'm like... <laughs> That question is built on so many logical fallacies, it's not even funny. So here's the thing. I I want y'all to do this. When you go home, or even just search on your phones even now, look up logical fallacies and argumentation. Majority of the time when people bring questions, you need to be able to engage people 
without embracing logical fallacies. You need to be able to also not jump in emotionally because here's what happens. We, <coughs> how many of you are on Facebook? How many of you have seen those things where people throw stuff out there and it's like, did they read this before they hit like post? Yes. And it makes no sense whatsoever when you read it from an objective point of view. But the thing is, when we, when we embrace the discussion, we have to make sure that we don't check our sensibilities at the door, but that we actually engage with what's being said. Which means, if somebody makes an argument and you don't like the argument, it does not make it wrong. So things not to do when you're engaging in a discussion with someone. Well, you're wrong and you're going to hell, so bye. <laughs> I mean, I've seen this. Ashamedly, so I think I've done this a few times. It's like, you're wrong, you're going to hell. Bye. And the discussion is over. That does not work. That does nothing to help the gospel. A side note attempt. The gospel in and of itself is an offense. You don't have to be offensive. I think that's the biggest thing with the church is we don't have to be offensive. The gospel is an offense in and of itself. The Spirit of God convicts. It is not your job. That's the thing. We, we take this responsibility on ourselves and we say, oh wait, I need to get this person saved. Usually so I can get a notch in my belt and say, hey, look what I did. And it's like, you don't have the power to save a flea, so what you do? <laughs> the Holy Spirit does the work. It's like, Paul, even when the whole issue of divisions are going on in the church, and he goes, well, you know, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. That's what he writes to the churches. God gives the increase. So when you're engaging in the issue of exclusivity, I always go back to this whole notion that, you know what? Yes, we are an inclusive, exclusive religion. Whosoever will, come. <laughs> Anyone who is saved is saved the atoning work of Jesus Christ. But, so, whosoever will, come. Anyone who's saved is saved through the atoning work of Christ. That's still inclusive. The exclusive aspect of it is this. There is no salvation apart from that which Jesus does. Because if you can find any other way outside of Jesus for salvation, then there was no reason for God to ever become a human and come and die. No reason at all. Does that make sense? Yes. Thoughts, questions, concerns? Okay. So as we go along the way, we're, we're going to start finding a lot more people talking about, well, what a, the, the person of Jesus. Do you really believe that God became man? Actually, there, there are two books I want to mention right now. The first one is actually written by a guy who was in the faith at one point and is no longer a Christian. And he spends most of his time trying to combat Christianity. And it's when Jesus, you know, when, yeah, when Jesus became God. Yeah, when man became God, when Jesus became God. I want to make sure I confirm that title right quick. But basically, he makes this point that, see, we just developed this idea and all of a sudden, we turned Jesus into a God. <coughs> and I'm like, that doesn't quite work. by the same name. Oh, that's freaky. There are actually... Yeah, okay, there are two books by the same name, so I'm happy I looked this up. Yeah, When Jesus Became God, it's by a man named Bart Ehrman. Yeah, I'm like, you, you mentioned the name, it's like you read something by him, you know. When Jesus Became God, the exaltation of a Jewish preacher from Galilee. So basically, Ehrman makes, the, makes this assertion that 
these people got together and decided, well, we're going to make this guy into God and we're going to tell everybody he was God. And I'm sitting here thinking, um, people died because of this. Multi- either Two things happened. Over 500 people all hallucinated simultaneously, which makes no sense. Or Jesus appeared to them post-resurrection. Jesus appeared post-resurrection, people. Because he actually died and rose from the dead. Just saying. So then, there is another book that's edited by a guy, and it is When God Became Jesus. Trying to make sure I got it right. Or was it When God Became Man, When God Became King? Not that one, not that one, not that one. It's an edited volume. It's basically a response to the first book. Help me out, somebody. <laughs> Y'all are like, we all know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, grief. Mike Bird. Okay, I'm like, I'm like Aussie, little Aussie redheaded dude wrote the book. Um, <laughs> no, like literally. It, <laughs> Is this it when God became <coughs> Yeah, it, it, it's, it's not when God became man when... I think by Mike Bird. Yes, yes, Mike Bird, yeah. How God became Jesus, the real origins of belief in Jesus' divine nature. And it's a response to Bart Ehrman. I'm like, wait, is Mike... <coughs> huh? How. Yeah, how God became Jesus. Yes, yeah. Mike is actually in Australia. He's a Christian guy who deals in the Gospels a lot. And so, one of the things you will learn is that you, when you're engaging in discussion, you have to read. You have to be knowledgeable, knowledgeable about things. Now, here's what some of us do. We grab our Bibles and we say, this is all I need to know. And yes, the Bible is the rule of faith and practice for all followers of Jesus. At the same time, there are moments and times when you need somebody to help walk you through a discussion. So, for example, some of you who are here for the African American Leadership Conference, you know, we talked about people like Tertullian in the early church who actually, you know, helped explain the doctrine of the Trinity in a way that people can try to understand it. Nice try. At the same time, you have people like Athanasius who gave and helped compose the Athanasian Creed and fought against Arius um, the same way Tertullian did, who then provides this creed where he says, we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, not, distingu- like not trying to dismantle the Godhead, but noticing the distinctions between each member of the Godhead. And so, you know, we don't have an explicit statement about that in Scripture, so we need some kind of explanation, Right? So it's for these reasons we need to actually read and engage. Now here's the thing. Sometimes you're going to find out, you will discover that you thought something incorrectly about the Bible. Or at least you thought something that isn't as foundational as you originally thought it might have been. Y'all got any ideas of stuff I'm talking about? Come on, toss something out here. Uh, The notion that Right. So, like, in, I was in Bible college, and my professor said, "Oh, this number where, like, um, in the Old Testament, it's supposed to be like 502, but someone said 504." Right. It's like stuff like that, where it's like, "Oh my gosh, if it's four, then like my faith is like pointless." Right. And so the issue is this: so you have derivations within manuscripts. Yeah. And going back to Bart Ehrman for a minute, that's like his big thing. Well, these manuscripts say different things, so how can you know that the Bible is true? So if you look at every variant, every variant of every manuscript that was ever produced, specifically of the Greek New Testament, here's the thing. Not one single jot or tittle of theology changes. So the issue is this. Is the Bible true? Yes. 
The Bible does not speak of protons and neutrons. The Bible is not your science textbook. So with regard to creation, yes, God created. How did God create? He spoke the worlds into existence, and I don't know what he did with what when he spoke the worlds into existence, but here's what I know. God created it. So if there is some scientific aspect to this that talks about how this combines with this and these things come together and God did it, great. Because what most people don't realize is majority of your scientists were actually Christians seeking to figure out what God was doing in the world around them. Remember that whole thing about people not like being without excuse? Scientists were individuals who were seeking God through the sciences. Now, I'm going to admit, I'm a big Revelation-like guy. Sir Isaac Newton wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going to use that commentary. <laughs> but the man was a man of science who was seeking after God. So when people tell you that science and faith stand in contradiction with one another, that is not true. Science actually testifies to that which the Bible presents to us. Now here's the thing. The issue is we as followers of Jesus must be honest about our presuppositions and our assumptions about things. As should other people be. Most of the time, and I'm going to make a most of the time statement, many of them are not honest about their presuppositions and assumptions. But I think it's only fair that we say, hey, here is what I'm assuming, here is what I'm presupposing, and here's the foundational basis for why I'm saying what I'm saying. Does that make sense? So what questions do you guys have about this kind of stuff? I, I know y'all are like, wait, huh? Yes? I have a question about like, timeline, mm -hmm. just in general, like creation. Like, some people say, like scientists would say, it took billions and millions of years. Mm -hmm. And then you know, Christians believe that, oh, it's like 10,000 years or however. Right. Or, you know, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so here's the question. Because I'm going to tell y'all this now. I'm going to say stuff that some of y'all are going to agree with and some of y'all are not going to agree with, and then other things where the people who disagree beforehand now agree and people who, dis who agree. Are, yeah, so just be ready. What's the point of the Genesis narrative <coughs> that God made it? Yes. It's not a history book. It's not a timeline. It's to tell people a story and something they can grasp on. Yeah, that's true. Now, here's the question. Did God create the world? Did God create the universe and everything that's in it? There you go. So while we get concerned about... because Okay, so here's the thing. And, and I, can, I can make arguments both ways for this. Actually, I think I will make arguments both ways for this. This will be fun. So to make an argument in favor of an older... If you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 1, and we talk about a day, a day is a solar day, right? The sun and moon were made what day in creation? No. The fourth day. Because see, here's what you have. Light was made day one. The sun and moon are made day four. Day one parallels day four. Day two parallels day five. Day three parallels day six. And here's what you find. The general ideas that are presented in day one, days one through three are then specifically discussed in another aspect in days four through six. So what you end up finding is, okay, you've got like the sun and moon, the greater lights and the lesser lights. Oh, the firmament and the separation. And then you have fish in the sea and birds in the air and things being made from the ground based on all these things. And then finally you come to humanity being created from the dust of the earth and God breathing into humanity the breath of life <coughs> and humans becoming living soul. Now, so for me, I'm like, does it really matter if the earth is 6,000, 10,000? 1.6 billion maybe years old? Because here's the other side of that. For the, when people say, well, God just made the earth, and I've heard Christians say this, God just made the earth to appear with age. Oh, deception is really good. Huh? That's a deception. That's, that's 
And that's the thing. I'm like, deception is not a character of God. That's right. So either the earth, or I've heard, well, the, the, God allowed the devil to put dinosaur bones in the earth. I, I lied not to you. I have heard all of these things come from people's mouths. Yeah, God let the devil put dinosaur bones in the earth in order to test people to see if people would believe God or trust in science. It's just like what uh, Islam believes when they said when they say God deceived and put Judas on the cross yeah. to see if they will follow or not. Right. It, 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 it's the whole, and so I'm like, no. Now, on the other, other side of things, you can make the argument, well, hey, this is what a day is, and if God said a day was there, well, God knew that he wasn't going to make the sun and moon until day four, but he also knows how long the solar day is, and so it could still be a day. Wait, that again? Yeah. <laughs> God knows the length of a solar day, so even if the sun and moon were not created yet, <coughs> God could still work within the constraints of a 24-hour period. Oh, yeah. Right, because he doesn't need the sun to know that it's 24 hours. Right, because he knows what time it is since he made time. Well, they say, in the Bible, it's like, to God, a day is like a thousand years, so they bring up that argument as well. Right, and so... You can go either way with that argument, and here's the issue. Do you really think that somebody is going to die and go to hell because they think that the earth is 6,000 or 6 billion years old? Yes. There's actually this interesting book um, called Across the Spectrum, mm -hmm. and it's the difference between like Armini Arminius and Calvinists, mm -hmm. and it goes over like the different beliefs and all that stuff. But it, the main focus of is the fact that, you know, as brothers and sisters of Christ, in the, in the important things, the theological things, mm -hmm. we agree. And then in the other things, you can, you know. You can disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is really good. We're going we're gonna to veer a little bit into the realm of talking to other Christians of different denominations and traditions for a minute. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think I just got an amen from that one. Okay. <laughs> When we look at things, I always make this joke that, yeah, they're in the kingdom of God, but they live in a different neighborhood than I do. <laughs> we, we all still in the kingdom, but you live in a slightly different neighborhood. You have what we call primary doctrine. Like, you know, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, the incarnation, baptism, communion. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put those in there, too. So let's just go with generally anything that you find in the Apostles' Creed would be primary doctrine. Wait, do y'all know what the Apostles' Creed is? Yeah. Okay, okay. No? Okay, okay. Let me just explain right quick. The Apostles' Creed is basically a list of 12 articles of faith that were composed around the around 327, let's say actually a little bit prior to that, but more solidified in the early 300s. So basically, if you are counted as a Christian, nor, like broadly speaking, a Christian can actually affirm that which is in the Apostles' Creed. Like, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, with well, the incarnation, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Don't run away. The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Let me explain. Catholic is small c, not big c. The universal church. So, can everybody in the room agree with those statements? Yes. You're a Christian. So, here's the thing. We agree on this. Now, now let's look at this. Let's look at some secondary doctrine. Let's look at some secondary doctrine. How do you baptize in water? Wait, wait. Do, do, you, do you dunk? Do, 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 you, do, do you do it by immersion? Do you, do you infuse? Do you sprinkle? Do you, like, we got all of these different modes of, all these different modes of baptism. And we actually have denominations that were formed based on how you baptize. Literally, how you baptize 
developed into, oh, well, we, well, we do this, but well, we only baptize, but well, we baptize infants. We, don't, well, we only baptize adults. We, and it's like, wait a minute. There are different denominations that basically form based on whether you baptize children or adults, mm-hmm. whether you, like, dunk or sprinkle, or whether you infuse. Infusion is like pouring water on the person, by the way. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, no, you were not picking the person up and running water through them. Yeah, I was, I was, every time I would say infuse, I would see y'all look like, like, no, you, you're not attaching, you're not attaching people up to syringes and running water through them, okay? Or look at look at communion. So, do you take communion once a month, once a quarter, once a year, every week? Oh wait, do we use a common cup? Do we use a loaf? Do we use those little styrofoam looking things that you peel back that taste like really horrible? And then the juice that's like at the bottom where the sediment is like And I'm like, nah. But here's the thing. There are denominations and churches that have formed based solely on those things. And I'm like, dude, that's like secondary doctrine. That's like Church, that's like third level, like yeah, and it's like there's no need for those divisions. So here's the thing. I'm an Arminian. I, I like I have other friends who are Calvinists at the other end of the spectrum, and it's like well they're like well only the elect are going to heaven. Like yes, only the elect are going to heaven. But then what we find we disagree on is well how do you know who's elect and who's not elect? And I'm like and I'm like those who are saved are the elect. <laughs> But they're like, but God chose them beforehand. And I'm like, no, God by his foreknowledge chose them. But he, I mean, and we literally go back and forth. Now, here's the deal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. So now, once we, can not, once we can not make it personal, we can have these discussions. It's like I love talking to my Catholic friends all the time. I'm like, so, going to church, you get a little Jesus today when you took communion? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, I did too. Great. And then they're like, wait, huh? And they're like, but you don't. I'm like, but I do believe that Christ is active and present and at work. Otherwise, why do we have testimonies of people being healed and delivered and set free when they take communion? Uh (laughs) I'm like, but no. They're like, but Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm like, it looked like juice to me. (laughs) I'm like, and it tasted like bread to me. So I'm like, and, I, and I'm like, you, you, you recognize something? And I'm like, yes, it's a mystery. I believe Christ is present and fully present. I just don't think he's present exactly in the same way you say he's present. And they're like, okay, we're cool then. And so I think what we have to do, especially with people of the same faith, is recognize two things. Unity does not equal uniformity. Amen. Our unity is based on Christ Jesus. Amen. But that doesn't mean I have to do everything the exact same way you do it. Look at worship styles and that'll tell you something right there. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't have to be exactly the same way you do it. <laughs> at the same time, when it comes to people outside the faith, we have to, be, we have to make sure that we recognize that we see things from a completely different worldview than those who are not in the church. And when I say worldview, I don't use the terminology a Christian worldview because like I mentioned the other day, did I say this on the platform and I don't remember. Anyway, y'all gonna get it again if I did. (laughs) Is it your North American Christian worldview? Is it your Latin American Christian worldview? Is it your Eastern or Western European? Is it your African, your Australian, your Asian Christian worldview? And so I don't like to talk about a Christian worldview because we have put our own cultural aspects of Christianity on other people and made them universal. It's sort of like when you look at the idea of missions. 
there were certain groups of people who went to the mission field and they saw people come to know Jesus and then all of a sudden you find these people after they've come to know Jesus and they're starting to do ministry they're in suits and ties like American pastors and they're not even in the traditional garb of their native people. That's the reason why indigenous missions is important. You put yourself, it's like what, oh wait, Jesus did. (laughs) When it says in the gospel of John, John is still good, I still see it as canon, (laughs) that the word became flesh, and I'm going to use a slightly different term, and tabernacle or made his dwelling place among us. God became human. He didn't try to make us become God. (laughs) But what we do is when we go out and we try to reach people, we try to make them become like us. The only way they should be becoming like us is that they are becoming like Jesus, even as we are becoming like Jesus. And then we're both becoming like Jesus together. Make sense? Thoughts, questions? Yes. So how do you decipher if someone, you see how you said like you have Catholic friends, you mean you can tell that, okay, that sounds true, that's kind of like what I believe in as well. Like, mm-hmm. How can you decipher like if someone like is like a Mormon or something, like how do you, like where do you like draw the line of, whoa, you're not saved? Okay. Here's a distinction. Paul says that if even an angel of light coming comes preaching another gospel than that which we declare to you, let an angel of light be accursed if that's the case. Now, there's a difference between traditions and practices that fall within the Christian faith. Once you start adding other testaments mm-hmm. and other gospels, mm-hmm. you have now crossed a boundary. <laughs> yeah. you, you are now... like. Here's Christianity, and you ain't nowhere in that circle because you doing the very thing that the Bible says you can't do. And so it's now moving beyond the realm of just, oh, I misunderstood. It's moving to, I am teaching that which stands in contradiction to Scripture, and I'm discipling people in that which contradicts Christ. Yeah, it's outside the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, it's outside the Apostles' Creed. It stands in contradiction with the Creed. See, if you want an expansion on that, look at the Nicene Creed. It's a little bit more detailed. You want an expansion on that, look at the Athanasian Creed. And here's the thing. Creeds are things that all Christians should be able to affirm. So it's not like some, well, hey, we believe this right here, and this is how we view it, and, you know, (coughs) my little group right here views it in this way. I'm like, good for you. Now, here's my next question. Can you back up what you're saying with scripture? Yes. A lot of times with the way they read um, the Bible, they believe they can back it up with scripture, but they're taking it out of context and they're taking it to say, look, this is what I wanted to say. Right. We have to read scripture in context. Which means, for those of you who have not ever looked at it, there is a book. It's in the salt store even now. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It is a great book. I think it's in its fourth edition now. It walks you through every section of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and talks about interpretive issues. Is that a hand or a stretch? Okay. What's the book called? How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. They've got a few more copies of it, and I will tell you, if you get it here, you're going to get it cheaper than what you get it on Amazon. Because they, the, they got them for like bulk prices and wholesale prices. So here's the deal. As you look at the Christian faith and you look at engaging others, key number one, engage people with humility. Mm-hmm. Two, don't be offensive to people. I guess it. The gospel in and of itself is an offense. You don't have to try to be offensive. That only turns people off. And at that point, you are then acting in a counterproductive manner to the gospel. And three, be honest. When you don't know, say you don't know. There is no reason to be like, well, I know everything about God. No, you don't. 
If you did, you would be God. What other questions do you guys have? Oh, yes. Um, what are some ways that you can, um, I guess, affirm the validity of the Bible itself? Like, as Scripture, we say, like, back it up with Scripture. Well, there are you know, non-believers who don't believe that Scripture is Scripture or it's inspired by God. That is a very good question. When you look at the notion of Scripture, I think that's what you have to look at as, hey, this is one of the presuppositions that I have about the faith. That this is the revelation of God to humanity. So I assume that there is a God and this is his revelation to us. Now here's the deal. Can you demonstrate that this book does give an accurate reflection of history and time and all of those? So that adds to the validity of the Bible because here's the deal. If I'm writing a book now, I'm just going to put it out there. If I'm writing a book about my faith and I'm starting to do religion, I'm going to make it look real good. I'm not going to have a racist Peter who's preaching on the day of Pentecost or who denies Jesus and then turns around and is over here and is like, oh, wait, I found out that God shows no partiality. I'm going to, I'm going to like clean all that up. I'm not going to have David having an affair with Bathsheba and then killing the woman's husband, Uriah, by sending him to the front line of the battlefield with a note saying, hey, now when you go to the front lines, everybody pull back so this guy dies. I'm not going to include the stories about all of these people. Oh, wait, you got issues of Lot and, you know, wait, did he just rape his sister? Oh, wait, that David's kids, did he just rape? Oh, wait. Did this man's daughters just sleep with him to get pregnant by the, like I'm gonna take all of that stuff out because these are the pay, like these are major figures in the history of the faith. Oh wait, Abraham, wait, that kid Ishmael, I'm gonna leave that part out. I'm gonna try to clean up everything I can if I'm not being truthful about something, if I'm trying to hide all this stuff to make it look perfect. The Bible does not do that. And the thing is, we as the church learn from those issues and we learn sometimes what not to do just as much as we learn what to do. I think that adds to the validity of Scripture because it's an honest document. Yes? But to add to that, I was asked this past semester um, by an atheist, like, how do we know that the Bible wasn't written by a bunch of pedophiles in their basement just thinking that it's all just a big joke? Because they okay. <clears throat> go 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 ahead. I'm I'm still like. <laughs> okay. Here's how I know the Bible is not written by a bunch of pedophiles in a basement. One, I don't think basements existed way back when. Two, you have a book that was composed on three different continents over a period of a couple of thousand years in which you have people writing in Hebrew and Aramaic and in Greek. And why in the world is somebody who's under the oppression of the Roman Empire like Paul, who's in prison, taking time to write all this stuff as a pedophile to function as some big joke? Why would Jeremiah be going in this well because he's declaring the word of the Lord? Why in the world will we have all of these things? Because we have to realize, oh wait, the exodus. People are in bondage. They ain't got time to be writing stuff if it's not from God. They try to. They just try to make it through slavery. They just try to get there. I mean, the story of Daniel. I mean, for some of the things that were written, if this were a joke written by pedophiles in a basement or anybody else in a basement for that matter, people could have died for what was written. I ain't got time to be wasting my life on a joke. Just saying. Does that make sense? Wait, I, there was one more hand back here and then back up here. Yes. So I grew up in a pretty conservative uh, Southern Baptist area, region. But like the Southeast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I've got what people consider more liberal uh, theology, not without truth, but according to their more conservative beliefs. Yeah. So I've been told kind of to shut up by half of the church saying, mm-hmm. You know, some ideas about evolution or eternal consciousness about hell or whatever. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, I have friends or I know, I've known people that feel 
that have been pushed out of the church because mm-hmm. of that, mm-hmm. or don't even want to get near the church because someone right. told them they couldn't be Christian because they believe in evolution or right. whatever. So at what point do you have to say, it feels like I have to give up one or the other. I either have to conform to shutting up about that or saying, hey, you know, it's okay, this part, like, I agree with what you're saying. There's validity in what you believe, even though they disagree with it, but they're pushing this out if we do. I think part of that comes to being in the right community. Being in a community of people who trust Jesus and who are open-minded about certain things. Because let's be honest, nobody likes for their world to be rocked in any way. And if you, if you say something that disagrees with my perspective on the Bible, then there is a disturbance in the, in the force. And all of a sudden, things fall apart. I would say that in the event that you were in a situation where it's like, well, you can't go to heaven because of this, and you, like, you're not a Christian because of that. I will tell you, I'm one of these people, just transparent moment, I'm an old earther. Old, old earther. I lived in college with a couple of roommates, and one guy was working on his master's degree in astrophysics. And he thought it was going to be crazy because two of us were ordained ministers, and this guy was like, (laughs) the agnostic over here studying astrophysics and we had this cool discussion late one night and he was like wait well it's not like and I said something about oh well, yeah the earth is old and he was like wait what <laughs> and he grew up in a part of Kentucky <laughs> where he was like Top, you could not believe that the earth was old and be a Christian like there was just no room for that and so we start having this discussion. He was like, wait, so Christians aren't as closed-minded as I thought. And then he made some comment about, yeah, I dated this crazy girl who spoke in tongues one time. And, da, da, da. and I was like, okay. I didn't say anything. <laughs> and then I didn't say anything to him in that moment because it was just not the right time. That's the You got to know when to speak and when not to speak. You got to listen to the Holy Ghost sometimes. So just know, okay, don't say nothing right now. Then like a week and a half later, I was like, oh yeah, remember we were having that comment? He goes, yeah, that was a great discussion. I said, remember you talking about the crazy girl who spoke in tongues? He was like, yeah. He goes, yeah. I'm like, I speak in tongues too. He was like, what? Okay, wait. (laughs) Here's what happened. We had another conversation all of a sudden because we had the conversation about creation and whatnot. He's like, okay, he's not as out there as I thought. Let's have this conversation. If this guy who's doing all this stuff says he speaks in tongues too, maybe... And I ended up encountering a guy from a tradition that they did not believe in that at all. And he came to me, he goes, can I ask you a personal question? I had never had a discussion with him about it. I said, yeah, he goes, do you speak in tongues? I mean, it was like one of those, shut the door because of my church tradition. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, okay, it must, there must be something to this and it must be real then. Because I've seen you whenever I'm having trouble. You're the one person who offers to pray for me. Like, there's something about this that leads me to... And it was just one of those things. Some things you're going to get through conversation. Other things are going to be about how you live your life. And people are going to fall on that spectrum in between. I think that's the thing. We need to be able to be willing to embrace the fact that there is a spectrum and a diversity of ideas within Christianity that all fall within orthodoxy. It's nothing like out here that's just like heretical. It is orthodox and within the faith. Yes? Um, my thing was, I have, I know someone who was a Christian, like mm-hmm. grew up in Christianity, then became an atheist, mm-hmm. then went back to Christianity, and then became an atheist again. This person, she, okay, well, she has some kind of stuff going on up there that she has to get help with sometimes, but okay. one of the things that she said one time, and it, it got me thinking, because she was like, oh, you know, you know how you get to Revelation, and it talks about how the days are just going to get worse and worse and worse, she's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, it happens, it's true, like, you can see it today, she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's always been happening, and I'm like, the Bible doesn't say that it, that it hasn't happened before, I mean, it just says it's going to, you know, keep getting worse, <clears throat> just because the Bible says something that's true that you can see is true doesn't make the Bible wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me help out. Two principles of reading your Bible and interpreting it. We're going to go here right quick. Exegesis. Drawing out of the scriptures what the scriptures say. Hermeneutics. 
How do I apply that to my present day? So now, the day is getting worse. Yes, oh, perfect example. When I was pastoring, y'all know the music like Hozier? Take me to church. Okay, see so y'all all know it. See that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So when I was pastoring, I did a sermon series called God Behind the Music. I had our worship band do a cover to take me to church at church on a Sunday morning. Yeah, everybody was freaked out. Like, what just happened? And so then I said, so how many of y'all were shocked? And everybody's like, hands went up. I said, how many of y'all know that song? Hands went How many of y'all sing that song in your car? So why are you shocked that we playing it in church this morning? And all of a sudden, because people say, well, we live in an overly sexualized culture. We live in an overly sexualized culture. And that was the very thing. And I turned around and I went to the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I showed, look, this is an overly sexualized culture. The miracle of it not raining for three and a half years. Here's the deal. Baal and Asherah, like the, you know, the Asherah poles you read about in the Bible, and, the, and you know, Baal, that, that God, well, they were supposed to be male and female counterparts. Therefore, within the context of the broader ancient Near Eastern culture, what you found was that people believed that rain was the result of intercourse between Baal and Asherah. So when the prophet of God comes along the way and says, by my word, it shall not rain for three and a half years, mm. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh. But they literally had a religion that centered around sex. So did the culture just now become sexualized? Nah. Oh wait, was homosexuality this thing that just like came up in the past like hundred years? No. Think about it. We make rules because people did stupid stuff, right? Like, think about it. Somebody does something stupid, something screws up. What happens? Okay, we need to make a rule. Don't do this. So, you read in your Bible, in the New Testament, Paul speaks about homosexuality and how it is condemned in Scripture. Okay, like he goes, this is against the laws of God. You read in the Old Testament, thousands of years prior to that. This ain't anything new. (laughs) But see, here's what we hear. Well, how can you say this? This is just something that's new. No, 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 no. Or then we say, we have people who will say, well, it's, we, under, we have a greater understanding now than people did way back when. And I'm like, no, it was sin then, it's sin now. Yeah. <laughs> like, there is no greater understanding. Like, because God is God and it's his word and it's living and it's true right. and it's applicable today as it was yesterday. Right. I'm like, God did not change, so why would his laws change? <laughs> so we are running a little bit short on time. Let's go. Question. So uh-huh. I was asked um, by a friend about basically how the Bible has been used over years. Mm-hmm. For example, you've got colonialism, right? It's mm-hmm. been used to basically oppress. Yes. And so I was trying to explain to them, you know, how it's being misused just by just like any other text. But I, I just kind of want to hear like a deeper, you know, like a deeper view. It's going to be deep, but it's going to come from wait, science right quick. Yeah. Before you enter, I want to tag on to that. Uh-huh. You mentioned colonialism. Like wait. tag just on uh, What's that called? Annex to the question? Um, the notion of like Christianity being white man's religion or like only a Western religion. All right, let's go with this right quick. Let, let's start here. The, the issue of the Bible being used to oppress. I can split atoms and create radiation to either help cure cancer or to kill people by dropping an atomic bomb. I can utilize the word of God to help bring healing and comfort to people who need it. Or I can misuse it in order to oppress and bring devastation to people. The distinction between the two is not in the tool that's being used. It's how it's being used. The, the issue that you brought up, say it one more time. Uh, the idea that Christianity is just like white man's religion. Okay, where did Christianity... Yeah. Gotcha. Where did Christianity start? In the Middle East. And then you have African bishops and popes in the early church. The Ethiopic church was like foundational. Remember like in the book of Acts, we talked about this the other day. In the book of Acts, Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Who's in charge of the treasury of the queen, right? 
And then we find in history coins minted that discuss Christianity, that reflect Christianity. The Ethiopian church is still alive and well today. <laughs> um, Christianity spread to Asia and to Europe and then over into the Western Hemisphere to North and South America. Here's the deal. The only reason why people will ever come to the idea that Christianity is a white man's religion is if they don't know the history of Christianity, yeah. first and foremost. Second of all, most people who have studied Christian history only study it from the perspective, or as I like to put it, mm -hmm. it's a Christianized version of Western civilization. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, think about this, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. But here's what we do. We look at, we look at the spread of Christianity from Jerusalem, and not really even Jerusalem, and we get to Rome, and we move into the establishment of the Holy Roman Empire, and that whole issue, when in actuality, Christianity spread out. Why do you think that there are so many people in India who trace <coughs> their, their faith in Christ back to the Apostle Matthew? It wasn't like Matthew just fell out of the sky somewhere. He ended up leaving like Jerusalem and heading that way. Mm -hmm. And so to say that Christianity belongs to any race or uh, to any particular ethnic group is just ludicrous, especially when you get to something like, oh, wait, Revelation 7, 9, where you have people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue, and people around the throne of God giving praise to God. So it's like, so if any ethnic group says, well, this religion belongs to us, not even the Jews could say that because Paul says, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, bond nor free. And so if somebody says, it's a white man's religion, my personal response now, this is me in my non-professional mode. You ignorant. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Okay, professional mode. If you look at the history of Christianity, there is nothing within history that actually reflects that idea or concept. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was really good. Okay, so another question. So reconciling the Old and New Testament, grace and law, all that good stuff. Okay, so we've got, like, I'm going to butcher this because I don't have, like, my Bible right front of me. So You're good. On this. Okay, so, like, it talks about the tattoo thing, the cutting hair, the wearing cotton, that sort of thing. Right. So how do you, like, know, like, what is just supposed to be for back then or what is heaven or hell issue? What is... Okay, easy way to look at this. First of all, there was a guy named Marcion who tried to eradicate the Old Testament from Christian usage. Wrong. Jesus came to fulfill the law, he said, not to abolish it, right? So if Jesus came to fulfill the law and not to abolish the law, we have to recognize the fact that we look at the principle. What was the purpose of, because it's not a tattoo thing, actually. Because in the same passage, in the same passage, it talks about, like, lots of your hair. It talks about menstruation. It talks about all these things. And I'm like, so what exactly is it? Marking yourself on behalf of the dead, which was a pagan practice of the culture around them. So the issue is, don't be like these people who are worshiping other gods. That, that, that's, what, that's what it really boils down to with that. Or, it, you know, or ritual uncleanliness when it came to entering into the temple of God. That's what, that's what all of those laws are about. But here's the thing. Don't call common that which Christ has made clean. It's sort of like, think about it. You, you don't eat shellfish. Don't eat this. Why are, you eating, why are you eating that? Like, I like my shrimp and my lobster. I like it. Jesus tells Peter in a vision in the book of Acts, I think it's in chapter 9, do not call unclean what I've made clean. So think. So in other words, Jesus declared these foods clean, so now I can eat them. The issue about like your, your poly wool blend clothes, you're good. Because what was that? That was a practice of the pagans in the surrounding culture. And within the context of that culture, those were major things. That's why you didn't sow fields with two types of seeds in them. It was all about pagan practices, and those pagan practices were in relation to other deities. And God is like, no, 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 no. You are my people. I have purchased you. I have made you my own. Therefore, you cannot be like these people. So in a very simple term, in present-day Christianity, don't be like the world. 
Don't be like the world. So if you have a tattoo, now don't 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 use this statement. See, mom, the preacher back at Salt said I can get a tattoo. <laughs> it's not about the tattoo. It's about the purpose behind the marking that's on your body. Mm-hmm. That's so good. And I think we are out of ooh, yeah, time. It is four oh eight. I'm going to still be around. A couple things I want to do. A couple book recommendations right quick. Ravi Zacharias' Jesus Among Other Gods. Um, Anything you can get by Malcolm Muggeridge. Yeah. Um, Ravi Zacharias refers to Muggeridge all the time. Um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Um... Yeah, Jesus Among Other Gods by, by Robbie Zacharias. Uh, anything that's by Malcolm Muggeridge. Um, the Reason for God, The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. And Keller is like a present day pastor up in New York City. So like, it's more modern. If you're looking for something that's very modern, like contemporary, go for Keller right off, The Reason for God. He actually has a Bible study um, curriculum that goes along with that. Was that a hand or? Okay. Do you have any recommendations as far as like history of Christianity, like non-Westernized? Yes. Um, The History of World Christian Movements. It's a two-volume set. You can get both volumes for under $40. History of World Christian Movements. Basically what it does is it traces the, the spread of Christianity out of Jerusalem. It starts literally in the book of Acts. And it traces it to Africa and Asia and Europe. And it goes until like just, I think, after the Reformation in Volume 1. And then Volume 2 runs you into North America into the early 1800s, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm sure you guys have probably heard about the case for faith. And there's another one, and it's really interesting. It's not really an apologetics book. It's about faith in God, and it's written by people who are actually, most of them are PhDs or people who studied scripture. Like, you know, the people who dug in, and if there's any dirt to be found, they can find it kind of people. It's just a small edited volume with um, groups of people who've contributed to it. It's called I Still Believe. Still? I Still Believe. <coughs> S-T-I-L-L. Is that along the same lines as God's Not Dead too? Whenever they have like the people come in and they're like disproving all that kind of stuff? Not quite the same. These are people who took the Bart Ehrman route of critically studying scripture and still come to the conclusion of faith. Who is that? What's the... Um, it's an edited volume by... Uh, oh, wait. Yeah, here we go. I still believe there's a subtitle to it <clears throat> that might help you find it a little bit easier. It is called Leading Bible Scholars Share Their Stories of Faith and Scholarship. And it is edited by John Byron. You're welcome. And and the cool thing is you have people from a variety of traditions. You have Pentecostals, Baptists, Anglicans, Methodists who are all within this book. Yes. Yeah. Leading Bible scholars share their stories of faith and scholarship. If anybody wants my email address, this is going to be dangerous, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to put it out here. It's Morrison D, M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N-D. That's Mike, Oscar, Romeo, Romeo, India, Sierra, Oscar, November. Delta. (laughs) At Evangel. E-V-A-N-G-E-L dot E-D-U. So stupid question, do you teach at Evangel University? 
Yes. Okay, yes. I have someone from our church that it's wonderful. Oh, cool. <laughs> so let me. Huh? E V A N G E L dot E D U. Let me pray for you guys and get y'all out of here. God, we thank you first and foremost for who you are and that you are a God who knows all things. And Lord, we come humbly, we embrace the mystery of who you are, but we also seek your face, Lord, knowing that in the appropriate moments when there are challenges and questions that your spirit will bring that which we need to remember to our remembrance. And you'll also just drop some divine knowledge on us as we need it. God, I pray that we would continue to walk in humility and participate in that which you were already at work doing in an effort to reach people for the glory of your great name. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.